0: Hi and welcome to Grazia Life Advice, Grazia Magazine's podcast. I'm Hattie Crissell and each week I speak to women worth listening to, asking them to share six pieces of advice they really value and the worst piece of advice they've ever received. Our guest this week is the author Holly Bourne. I was completely hooked on Holly's recent novel How Do You Like Me Now? and clearly I'm not alone because it's a Times bestseller. It's Holly's debut adult novel, but she's also a very successful author for young adults and most recently published Are We All Lemmings and Snowflakes? Much of her writing addresses mental health, and when we met in December, she had wonderful advice about taking care of yourself and combating the habit that many of us have of comparing ourselves to others. So, over to Holly. So How Do You Like Me Now is your first adult novel, and it's been a huge success and a bestseller. So what has this year been like for you? (laughs) Um,
1: It has been, I guess, a whirlwind. Um, And I had finally got a bit of a break and then decided to move house, which um, was not a good idea.
0: (laughs) But it's also just been an incredible year, one I'm always going to look back on and be like, wow, 2018 was amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's been a real game changer for you, hasn't it? And you had... You had been published before as a young adult author. What was the sort of difference moving into doing, I don't know, a grown-up book, if you like? It's odd. It was... um
1: in terms of the writing process, it wasn't hugely different. Um, the kind of only main things I could think of are you can swear more, and um, mm-hmm. my character. And you did, yeah. I really like. I felt like it's a bit of my Miley Cyrus twerking moment. Like <laughs> after years of having to be quite clean, for teenager's like I can swear. And um, yeah, this book definitely has. Um, Lots of swears in it, but that's part of the kind of character's lifestyle brand. So I feel like I could get away with it. And you can have, to some degree, a slightly more unlikable protagonist in adult fiction. Um, Teenagers are very unforgiving of anyone who's not quite squeaky, whereas adults are kind of more uh, patient um, than with protagonists and can kind of maybe see why they might be behaving a different way more. So those were the two main differences in writing. And in terms of promotion, it's just been hilariously different because. If you're a teen author, you're very ghettoized. Nobody really takes you seriously. Um, you're just kind of in this weird section of the bookshop that adults never go to. And it's been very interesting where people, like, I'm like, oh, so you write like
0: a proper book now? And I'm like, oi, we're well, <laughs> writing proper rude. books for ages. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely loved the book um how do you like me now I thought it was really really gripping and it was very good on social media and how it encourages us to dwell on what other people think of us and how other people might judge our decisions where did the inspiration from the book come from it
1: actually came from a mixture of places one was I turned 30 and social media does sort of go a little bit nuts around that age and just sort of wedding engagement shoots and wedding photos and baby photos and scans and and that's not bad like my character finds that annoying I kind of find it quite joyful but it made me think wow that must be really hard to see if you do not have those things in your life and it did feel a little bit like you hit 30 and it just happened so suddenly I remember I went to like six weddings back to back six weekends in a row that year and um, and the other thing was Elizabeth Gilbert, who's an author, and I'm, I'm a massive fan of her as an Eat, Pray, Love, and her follow up book Committed, I've kind of always used as my blueprint. And so I was quite thrown when she like ended it with the guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and was like, I'm going to become a lesbian. Um, and I was just like, that is awesome for you, but I'm not a lesbian. And now I don't know what to do because I've actually been following your life to the blueprint. And that made me realise that. We have all these people in our lives that we use as mentors, guidance that we've never met before, who have built whole careers by telling you sort of how to live your life. But actually, they can only share a certain amount of their life with you in order for the story to work. And um, I still love and adore Elizabeth Gilbert, but like that took me a good couple of weeks. And luckily, the character of Tori came out of that process of feeling how I feel.
0: (laughs) Because Tori is um, a kind of inspirational self-help writer who a lot of people take a lot of a lot of inspiration from in terms of how they're living their lives that must be a real burden it's so interesting that you mentioned elizabeth gilbert because i know when she did announce that she was leaving her husband or partner um to be with her best friend a lot of people did feel really personally thrown by that i think um let's move on to your advice so your first piece of advice actually is quite relevant to this It is quite relevant to the book. Yes. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, In terms of life envy and what
1: sort of social media can make that so much more potent. um, My first piece of advice is before you're going to envy a part of somebody's life, imagine you have to take on every other bit of their life as well. Yeah. So don't just look at one slice of their pie and wish that you had that. Like if you're really jealous that they got married, be like, look at their husband and be like, I would have to be married to that guy (laughs) Um, or if you like their career and go I wish they had their career be like but how's their personal life how's their family life how's their health and it just puts people's best bits into context because none of us have best bits in every single section of our lives yeah and we tend to ignore the bits in our own lives where we're doing quite well
0: yeah is that something that has that you've sort of reminded yourself on on occasion Oh, for sure. Definitely.
1: Um, especially as I said, in a sort of turning 30 age, um, cause I'm not married yet and I don't have children, although I am in a place in my life where I'm very happy personally, um, but I once heard a line, I think it's from the film version of Eat, Pray, Love, where I was like, There's nothing like wedding days to make you focus on your own life when it's meant to be about the other person's. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, a good point. It, yeah, because it's meant to be all about the couple. And I've spent every wedding day just sort of self indulgently thinking about <laughs> myself <laughs> and like wondering. And again, having to like go, um, This is something I want in my life, but it's not happened yet. But would I want it in the context of this person has it? Um, I know that my friend getting married right now who I love and adore I'm really happy for her but I also know she's not that happy with her career and then I've got to check myself and remember like that my career can be really intimidating to people who are kind of having a down day in work and yeah because I'm an author and I never take for granted how many people want to be that and how lucky I am and so I've got to check myself sometimes to be like you're probably making other people feel rubbish too without meaning to yeah Um, and if people who know me know the other things that I have to deal with in my life. You know, they maybe want my career, but they might not want, you know, <laughs> my scoliosis. <laughs> or, you know, the other sort
0: of rubbish day-to-day human stuff that I have to deal with. Yeah, we are really in a tricky position at the moment in terms of social media, aren't we? Because, you know, we're now quite used to living in this world where you look at Instagram, you look at Facebook and all you see is the best bits of other people's lives. Do you, Do you think that for our age group there's more of that comparison with other people than perhaps that would have been for our parents, for example?
1: I don't know, because I feel like my parents are kind of, I don't know if it's just mine or there's lots, but they've kind of got this delayed response. They're like all on the Facebook, as my mum calls it. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I feel like we're a bit more acclimatised, actually, to the generations who are kind of still stumbling into it for the first time. And even my mum, who's got a lovely life and is very happy, is like, "Oh, Julie's on her fourth holiday this year. You know, (laughs) you're kind of feeling bad. And so I think it's actually something that I think life envy and the way that social media makes it so much worse is something that no age range can really escape from unless you completely disengage from the platforms I guess the only thing about older people is it's easier for them to disengage I would never know when my friends birthdays were um if it wasn't on Facebook I don't know how how I would stay in touch with lots of my friends um because we are all on group chat so um yeah I guess the opportunity to back out is harder for
0: our particular age group yeah so your your second piece of advice which i think you said has both a literal and a metaphorical application so tell me about this it's basically just somebody once told me that if you're walking up a really long flight of stairs don't look up
1: because it makes it harder um, just keep your eyes level and uh whenever I get like walk up the stairs of the tube or have to go up a massive hill, I just, that comes into my head and it does make it easier. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, try it. Like your life will be transformed. And I love this because it does work like literally in terms of like getting up, you know, Tottenham Court roads. Uh, (laughs) But it, I think it works quite well metaphorically as well. I think if you kind of at a point in your life where you feel like you've fallen down a hill and you know, you have to stand up, dress yourself off and climb back up it again. Um, I think if you keep looking at the summit and how far away it is that can make it really hard whereas I think if you just take it a day at a time a step at a time I think it does make the climb
0: easier for sure. Yeah I think um, you know one of the best examples of that kind of um, struggle to keep going with something has to be writing a book I mean everybody who's written a book says that there's You know, there are often many occasions where you just want to give up and run away and never look at it again. Um, This is obviously something that you have overcome. What's your secret?
1: It's just to take it one
0: day at a time, one word count,
1: target at a time, chapter at a time. Um, If I ever let myself think about how huge it is to write a novel. And that does not go away. And I've written 10 novels now. Each one is equally as terribly hard to finish. And you keep thinking... Surely I've got all this past experience that I can go on to be like, it was this hard last time and you made it through and the book turned out okay and that just vanishes and every author I know says the same thing, every book is a brand new hill and it's like you've never climbed one ever before in your life and all I can say is just to keep going and to just embrace the fact that you're going to get to the top and you'll look back and be like, this hill is terrible. I've I've written a terrible hill of going to the top. (laughs) Um, But it's, I did it and you can't edit a blank page. And so just knowing to get that first draft done and finished and know that it's going to be a complete mess. um, Then you can, the real work begins kind of in editing, but you've got to kind of go up that hill and keep
0: going and keep going
1: and keep going until you type the end before you have anything to work from
0: that's really interesting so what is is that your tactic when you're writing a book do you kind of just keep going and write it and not edit it too much as you go along and then look at it at the end
1: I have to otherwise I just lose the faith um I always start thinking it's a terrible idea and that's my like kind of piece of writing advice I give people is like accept the fact that writing a novel is all about ruining the perfect idea in your head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but knowing that if it's a good enough idea, the novel can cope with how badly you ruin it and it's still actually a really good idea for a book and now it exists and you can polish it up and edit it. But I never read my books back um, because I will just... Because you know, first drafts are terrible um, mm. and if I just looked at them I would just be like this is the worst thing in the world. And But once I've invested all the time and energy into finishing a book I'm like oh god well this is rubbish but it exists now and it was really hard so I may as well put the work in now to
0: make something of this mess I've created. Good for you, I just th- I'm full of admiration, I think that's so hard. Um, your third piece of advice slightly different note. Tell me this one. This is one I actually did put into How Do You Like Me Now? because I think it's such a useful bit of
1: advice if you are uh, a woman um, which is wear a skirt to your smear test.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean... Uh, yeah, I have come to this later in life as well after many very embarrassing smear tests where you forget and wear jeans yes. and then have to lie there half naked on the and it's always on a piece of tissue paper, isn't it? They always make you lie on a sheet of paper, just just even less dignified. No, women did not design the smear tests.
1: <laughs> like, did they? I think they need to reinvent it to yeah. make it easier, but yeah one thing is wear a skirt like a long midi skirts a really fashionable still and you just it makes it so much less embarrassing because you just kind of take your knickers off and kind of hoist it and it's such an important thing to go and do yeah. um is to get your smear test and um that i swear makes it psychologically easier than you know, wriggling out of skinny jeans and just being completely butt naked
0: from your <laughs> belly button down <laughs> that is invaluable <laughs> advice um uh, number four Sooner or later, we all sit down to a banquet of consequences. I think that's quite beautiful. What do you mean by it? Um, I think that's a quote that I've stolen off somebody
1: else. I'll have to um, Google who I got it from. But yeah, we all at one day sit down to our banquet of consequences. I love this advice because I just love the collection of words, banquet and consequences. Um, I've always been somebody who feels a lot of things and reacts to a lot of life. And have always been quite envious of the repressors out there and sort of feeling that that's more mentally healthy and because I'm kind of outwardly express my emotions and process things quite visibly, um, that that makes me weaker. And um, through the process of getting older and really working on myself and reading a lot and going on a meditation three-day retreat and all this sort of stuff that I have done, which has been incredible, um, I just realised that actually... There's only so long you can hide from the stuff that has happened to you that has given you maladaptive coping strategies and makes you unhappy. And all of us have sadness and hardness and pain in our lives and things that we probably need to work on. And actually, for people who are sitting down to that banquet Mm -hmm. (laughs) and kind of going, right, I'm going to face my shit now, um, I think more mentally healthy. I think knowing who you are and why you are the way you are and why you respond the way you do, and having that level of self-actualization is so powerful, and actually makes you very grounded. Mm. Um, but it, it did require to sit down and take your place at the table and and look at
0: <laughs> dig in, <laughs>
1: <and> dig in. <laughs> uh, but I think it's very liberating, and yeah, I don't think anyone can escape that. I think everybody's life hinges on the day that they realise that they've got to sit down at their banquet of consequences. And it's just, if it happens to you, if you're a teenager or in your 20s or 30s, or some people, you know, maybe not happen until their 70s. But I do think life after that banquet is a lot better than
0: life before. Okay, well, that's that's very inspiring. So no need to repress things and hide away and pretend they're not happening. No.
1: I mean, repression is a very brilliant short-term coping strategy i think you kind of can't respond to everything all the time always (laughs) so i think if you're kind of going okay i just need to shelve this because i'm at work um, you know but to just completely push it and keep shoving under the rug and the rug and rug until the whole rug sort of a bumpy sea i don't think many psychologists would say that's how you're supposed to process things in life in a healthy way yeah i think they're all about eating at the table
0: (laughs) and and maybe you know in some ways i suppose This is where social media is quite useful because I think there is a culture now where you can turn to social media to tell people about your anxiety, for example, or struggles that you've had after having a child um, and find often quite a sympathetic audience. Do you think there are those sorts of benefits to social media? Yeah, I think there really is. Um,
1: I think there's so many people who feel that they're alone in their particular situation that's causing them pain um and yeah to just find somebody who gets it is so powerful because then you just any conversation you have with that person is easy because they're just on your level and um yeah it must be hard for I don't know people who have had victims of sexual violence or people who've had really difficult childhoods or people who just grew up poor or people who have mental health problems I feel for people before the internet where they were just how did you even go about finding other people like that um I have made so many friends of people that I've met online because we've had shared interests and shared sadnesses and we've met up in real life and it's like we've known each other for a million years because we've got that point of reference where we just understand
0: it and get it and don't have to explain it. Yeah. We've got a real love-hate relationship with social media, haven't we? Can't (laughs) live with it. Can't live without it. Um, So tell me about your fifth piece of advice.
1: Uh, So this is a bit of a love advice, actually. Um, Before I became an author full-time, I actually worked as a relationship advisor for young people. So um, I was sort of trained in the sort of science and art of relationships. And This is a piece of advice I came across, which is it's better to find someone to stand in love with rather than to fall in love with. What does that mean? I think it's basically kind of kick back against almost any romantic film we've ever seen where romance is something where you kind of completely lose yourself um, f- you fall in love and the word fall means you are sort of like jumping off a cliff and love is like a massive chemical drug that's very potent and powerful was the most amazing feeling in the world but it can make you make wiggy decisions um, <laughs> but maybe when the sort of drug wears off isn't great um I think the happiest, healthiest relationships that last a lifetime are between two individuals who love that the other person is there, but they're not being propped up by each other. They're a team, but they're a team of two individuals who can stand on their own two feet. And maybe there's a lean, maybe you kind of t- and you maybe take it and tend to into each other, but you can stand firm with your two feet in the ground, um, rather than sort of codependency issues, which. If you kind of have to need somebody in order to exist and feel happy and grounded, you're giving so much of your power away. And I don't think love requires that. And I just think love that can grow and stable is yeah, somebody you can stand with, sort of holding hands and know that they love you. But if they got hit by a bus, buster, you'd be devastated. But your whole life wouldn't vanish and vice versa because the power is balanced then. Yeah. It's not very romantic.
0: (laughs) Well, I was just thinking about, so there's this central relationship in how do you like me now, which is so well observed. And it's a couple who started with a very, very romantic meet cute, if you want to call it that. And things aren't quite what they used to be. Well, that's an understatement. I mean, do you think that in general, it's a bit of a red flag when somebody shows the kind of extravagantly romantic behaviour that 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 character shows in your book I'm talking about him (laughs) yeah so
1: Tom and how do you like me now I mean I would say that she is in an abusive relationship and the whole book is kind of examining what is just a couple stale after too many years together who aren't quite right for each other and what is actually a darker emotionally abusive relationship and um, you know I would categorically say Tom is an abuser and when I was doing the huge amounts of research that I needed to undertake to make this book as kind of sensitive and accurate as possible. Uh, most of the red flags in the very early stages of an abusive relationship are oh, they're the most perfect man in the world.
0: Really? Uh, How interesting. And
1: it makes me very <laughs> cynical now and I kind of can't watch any romance film now without kind of going, oh my god, they're an abuser, they're an abuser like get away, get away, get away. Um, I'm sure there are lots of people out there who do grand romantic gestures when they're on in the heady days of love. Um, And they're not abusers. But there is a known behaviour called love bombing, which people are starting to understand now. And then it's used by people who tend to suffer from narcissistic personality disorder, which is what Tom in the book kind of I believe he suffers from and it's where they're just you're for everything and it's you just feel like it's the most incredible thing in the world you've met your soulmate the are one in the best states in the world you just cannot believe that the movies have come true for you but it quite quickly becomes a nightmare and those early days are actually an abuse tactics are kind of reel you in mm, um,
0: and gain control
1: I suppose gain control exactly because you're always then going to be wanting to go back to Oh, but remember that time he took me out into the desert and made me a picnic under the stars. I know he's still in there somewhere because he did that thing. Um, but yeah, I'm not saying not all grand romantic gestures, <laughs> uh, abuse and manipulation. But after doing this, <laughs> researching and writing this book, I'm very, very, very wary of anything.
0: My boyfriend's just like, can I get you flowers? And <laughs> what do you mean okay? by that And I'm like, it's all right. And your, your final piece of good advice... Tell me that. Um, it's be kind to yourself first,
1: um, which sometimes I kind of feel so, it may be a little bit of advice that you find written in cursive on Instagram and might come across as quite basic. <laughs> um, but um, one of the YA novels um, that I wrote recently called Are We All Lemmings and Snowflakes is a book about mental illness um, and a book about kindness and how maybe if the world was a kind of place, we wouldn't have mental illness. Um, because mental illness is almost inevitably caused by people having things happen to them in the world that shouldn't have happened to them in the first place. And how there's this new type of therapy called self-compassionate therapy, which is being kind of rolled out and really, really helpful, but it's all to do with learning how to be kind to yourself and how to soothe yourself. And I feel like kindness is having a bit of a moment at the moment. Absolutely, like Everyone's yeah. kind of being like, be kind, but it's still this very... Um, surface level kind of put on a face mask and you know or like compliment somebody on the tube and those are lovely things to do um but kind of real self-kindness is actually being really selfish it's just, it's like be kind to yourself first emotions are contagious and you kind of need to start looking at how you treat your friends and how you accept that they're flawed individuals who are trying their best and you can see that they're that way maybe because they had a difficult relationship with their dad and then they had that horrible boyfriend that made it worse and you know you can give the most amazing advice and love them even though you know that they've got their problems but we're not very good at doing that to ourselves Mm. and taking that kind of view of ourselves it's kind of filled with love and compassion and understanding but actually, if you learn to love yourself and be kind to yourself and realise and understand why you are the way you are and to kind of forgive yourself the bits that you really can't help and work on the bits that you can, that makes you so grounded and so centred that that is contagious. That is actually a selfless act because people kind of are drawn to you when you are centred and like yourself. I'm sure everyone's got people in their lives who they just turn to because they feel so good around them. And those are usually people who are actually have very strong boundaries and protect themselves and look after themselves and put themselves first but not in a selfish way just because they know that that makes them actually a better person to be around yeah that's
0: really interesting has that always been something that you have understood and found straightforward or is it something no. you better at? <laughs> no, I mean, the thing about advice is that it's so easy to give it, isn't
1: it, rather than to like <laughs> practice it in real life. I think it's very hard to be kind to yourself, but it's worth trying. And actually, since I've started learning how to soothe myself and ground myself, I have noticed that my relationships with people have drastically improved and I'm actually a better friend and a better daughter and a better girlfriend and a better most other things
0: because I'm being a bit more selfish. I suppose if you can soothe yourself as well, you're not always looking to other people to make you feel better, which I think can be uh, something that we all fall into sometimes.
1: Mm. Especially if that sort of go back to the advice about standing in love rather than falling in love. I think if you, yeah, as you said, it's being able to self-soothe is massively powerful because then you're with anybody, whether that's romantically in a friendship or any other type of relationship, because you want that person around rather and you need them there to calm you down because you're incapable of doing it yourself but yeah I still find it very hard So <laughs> bring my friends because I'm just like and when they say so many kind things I'm like why can't I do that to myself <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I mean we get so much good advice here on the Grazia Life Advice podcast but sometimes it's good to remind ourselves that just because we know the things we should be doing doesn't mean that any of us is doing them all 100% mm-hmm. of the time so yeah And And that that in itself is
1: an act of self-kindness is going, okay, so I've not followed any of my good advice today, but, you know, whatever, I have PMS. (laughs) I didn't sleep very well last night. Again, just be kind to yourself about the fact that you're not going to get it
0: perfect all the time. Yeah, keep trying. Try again tomorrow. Mm. Um, So let's go on to your worst piece of advice. I sort of think that this this seems to me almost like a genre of advice that you've singled out here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not one piece of advice. It's just so... Because I used to work as an agony aunt, I kind of was trained in how to professionally give advice to people. And the sort of the first rule of advice club is that you can't give anyone advice, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and sort of any counsellor, psychologist, anyone in a sort of caregiving community will tell you, to think you can't tell anyone what to do. Um, especially you can't go, well, if I were you, I would do this. And that's... For a number of reasons. Mainly, the thing is, it completely disempowers the person who's asked your advice. You know, everybody knows what they should do, really. Sometimes they need people to ask them the right questions, but all of us have the answers in ourselves. All of us, you know, need to trust ourselves and trust our instincts and trust our abilities to make decisions. So, if when somebody's telling you what you should do and then you do it, you kind of made that decision not from a place of strength. And the other thing is, if when people kind of go, well, if I were you, I would do this. The question is, but you're you're not me. And so uh, how do you know yeah. <laughs> what <laughs> like, you'd do? You know, you're the only expert on your own life. Um, you're the only person who has to live in your head. You're the only one who's lived all your experiences and has all your memories. So what you would do is going to be drastically different compared to what somebody else does because they've lived in their head with their memories and their past experiences. And I've been really flawed. The times where I've asked people for advice and they've categorically told me what to do has been always been like some of the most painful, confusing parts of my life is when somebody's told me what to do, even though I've asked them.
0: <laughs> so
1: it's like well, don't ask my advice you don't want me to tell you to do. But it's always made me feel very confused because usually what they tell the advice you give you, you don't want it. Or you're like, you're like oh no, that's wrong.
0: Um, yeah, really what you want is for them to help you talk it through until you figure out what you want to do.
1: Mm. And so just know that there's no right answer. There is no, you know, mm. there's just what's right for now. You know, there is not this alternative universe that you can go to where you can make a different decision and see what happens and see how it pans out on your deathbed, because that's really the only time where you're <laughs> going to get complete clarity of whether or not you should have done this or done that. Uh, <laughs> so There is no right or wrong. There's just what you can do. So, yeah, so anyone kind of going, well, you should do this, I think is just problematic. Although, again, it's something I probably do all the time and tell people all the time, even though I know it's bad. But I think it's just knowing that you do have it in you to make the best decision. And also knowing that sometimes it is a decision to not make a decision today. Like, if you don't know what to do, it's still an act of choice to not do anything yet and just sort of trust that the universe will make it clearer in time. Yeah. Rather than somebody go, quit your
0: job! And you're like, okay, (laughs) and then you're unemployed. (laughs) I love that. So I think we should maybe add a disclaimer to the Grazia Life Advice podcast that (laughs) it is also perfectly allowed to ignore all the advice (laughs) or maybe just decide tomorrow. (laughs) yeah
1: exactly you can just you know I do believe the universe shows its way in time um one of the main things we used to say when I was an advisor was it's a decision still to make no decision that's not you being passive that's not you being weak that's not you being indecisive you actually have actively decided the best thing to do today is to not make a decision about this and that's okay and sort yeah. of relating back to the book with Tori and Tom's relationship the whole book is about is she ever going to leave him and you know she has to get to that point herself and she just keeps you know for whatever reason she's just not ready to make that decision yet
0: yeah thank you so much holly that's been so so interesting a lot that i'm gonna think about thank Um, you (laughs) so yeah thanks for coming in oh thank you very much for having me thanks so much to holly how do you like me now and are we all lemmings and snowflakes are out now if you enjoyed grazia life advice please do subscribe rate us review us and share us it really helps spread the word See you next week for more advice from women worth listening to.